to Natural MD Radio, your place to hear the whole truth on health and medicine for women and children and get the tools you need to take back your health naturally starting now. I'm Dr. Aviva Ram. Being a mom naturally causes us to become more vigilant. After all, we're wearing our hearts outside of our bodies in the form of our little tiny ones, and we feel so consumed by protecting them. We worry about whether they're breathing in the first couple of days, whether they're getting enough milk, whether we're good enough mothers, and a thousand other things. But for the most part, we're not in a constant state of hypervigilance to where we can't sleep, can't eat. We have so much anxiety that we lose weight, and sometimes we just feel like we can't breathe. But for about 6% of pregnant women and 10% of postpartum women, anxiety and sometimes the double whammy of anxiety plus depression make an already big learning curve of being a mom into a mountain to climb. For some women, there's pervasive general anxiety, and for some women, that can be accompanied by panic disorder or even postpartum OCD, and for some women, there's a combination of these. My guest today is a multi-time New York Times bestselling author of books like May Cause Miracles, The Judgment Detox, and The Universe Has Your Back. She's an Oprah Super Soul Sunday past guest, a sought-after talk show host, a, a guest, and appear- has had appearances on everything from The Rachel Ray Show to Good Morning America, and was at one point described by Forbes magazine as the best-branded woman in America. I was at her house when Marion Williamson called to tell her she was running for president, My guest is inarguably a superstar, and like so many women, she too has experienced trauma and addiction in her life. Her pathway to success and recognition and a nearly million-strong social media presence has grown through her sharing generously of the spiritual tools and practices she's used to become and stay sober and live a miracle-infused life, and she's known for her incredible down-to-earth style. Her life took an unexpected shift after her first baby was born. As a public figure and spiritual teacher, many expect people like my guest to have it all together, and she usually does. But after her son was born, she went through a really dark time. Not even full on the other side of it, she did something incredibly brave and bold. She went public about her profound struggle with postpartum anxiety and her choice against many popular voices in the wellness movement about psychiatric medications to use mood-stabilizing, anti-anxiety, and sleep medications so she could get through that time, sleep, function, and be a mom to her beautiful little boy, Ollie. My guest today is also unique for me in that she is a very close personal friend. So close, in fact, that I was her support sister during her pregnancy, at her birth, and postpartum. And so close that it was a deep learning for me, too, that not only do we need our friends when times are really dark, but sometimes as close as we are to our friends, sometimes there are places so dark that we don't give ourselves permission to fully disclose how bad it is when that's exactly what we need to do so that we're not battling demons alone and so that our close friends and our medical providers, if we're not disclosing to them either, can help us get a diagnosis when one is needed and the help that can make us feel whole and safe again. I'm your host on this journey today, Dr. Aviva Ram, and please welcome and create a safe, sacred space for me with my beautiful soul sister, Gabby Bernstein, as she shares her story of going into the darkness of postpartum anxiety and back. Gabby, I love that we're finally doing this. It's been like two years since Ollie's birth, and so much has happened, and we've talked about this conversation for so long. Thank you for joining me. 
I was just thinking the whole time. I'm like, I should really have Aviva rewrite my Wikipedia page. <laughs> I made that up out of my head because that's how much, that's how close we are. I'm like, I didn't have to look. That's right. You that. just, you can just riff on me, but that was beautiful. I, I really appreciate uh, just also hearing back you sharing my experience is very, very beautiful for me because I'll just begin by saying how instrumental you have been in my life in the period of trying to conceive my son, the obviously the full period of being pregnant, and then most significantly being one of three people to be the first people to see my child for the first time. So I, I love you so deeply. And, and then of course, for all the help and support and guidance throughout the postpartum experience. And I'm, I'm really grateful to anyone that's listening right now, because I'm happy that you found Aviva. You're very lucky. That oh you found her. Thank you, Gabby. I love you so much too. I think back to a couple of winters ago when you were pregnant and you were teaching at Kripalu and you stayed at my house for I'm five days. And it was it was such a nourishing five days. We'd get up in the morning mm-hmm. and ginger juice and then you'd go teach and then you'd come back in the evening. And it was just it was so lovely to have that time with you and just so um just really nourishing, but also gave me just a deeper insight even to you than I had, you know, when you don't spend five days in a row with your friend like that. Very special. Yeah. So Gabby, um, let's start with your pregnancy journey because that's where you really first started to have to surrender from like my note. I've known you, I think what, seven years now. And we kind of became friends like right off. And it was also right at the beginning of your fertility journey. So you kind of had to surrender from the beginning. It didn't happen as quickly or as easily as you had initially planned. And I know you went through some inner process with that. Well, I just remember the day I met you, we were both speaking at a Wanderlust event in Vermont and I'm sitting at the table and Rachel Goldstein was next to us, our mutual friend. And, and, and she knew Rachel knew I was trying to conceive and I had been, I had originally tried to conceive three years before I actually did conceive my son. And this was early in the stages of trying to conceive. And Rachel goes, this is Aviva. She'll get you pregnant. I was like, okay. (laughs) And then that was, and immediately I lit up. I was like, "Oh my gosh, I want your help. I want to know everything that you can get, share with me. What can I do?" That was. I remember beginning. our first meeting too, because that night you had been teaching something. I think maybe you taught a class with Elena Brower, mm-hmm. and you were talking about grounding your energy to the earth. And I remember walking up a path. We were in Vermont, and it was kind of twilight, and you're like talking to this group of people who are just, you know, flanking you and like ogling and you're like, yes, ladies, put your vagina on the ground. And so we started having this email back and forth for months where it just was like vagina lady, Ray, vagina lady, Ray, Ray, vagina lady. Right. Right. So that was when you started to, um, that was when you planned to conceive and then it took a little longer. And at some point you kind of had to surrender, I think, to your path. And what was that like? Because I think a lot of the theme of today is in a way surrender. That's right. I spent three years trying to conceive my son. And the word trying is the operative word because we we get very hooked into the timeline, when, how, how old you are, how it should be. I spent probably at least two years plotting my ovulation cycle around my book tours or whatever the hell else I had going on. And it was just this major control issue that I had. My body was not getting pregnant for many reasons, which I can share about. 
But the bigger purpose of this journey for me was to ground myself in the spiritual tools for surrender. So much so that living the the experience of not getting something I wanted when I wanted it in such a big, profound way, living that experience as a spiritual student and a spiritual teacher was one of the greatest gifts that was ever given to me because it gave me this full-bodied surrender of having to surrender more and having to awaken into the presence of what it really meant to surrender, not just talk about it from the standpoint of, oh, just go let it go, but to really not give it up, but instead give it over. So I, in that period of time, started living these practices, which ultimately became a chapter in my book, The Universe Has Your Back. It is the topic of my Super Soul Sessions talk for Oprah. It became a, a, a method of surrender, which really involved being grateful for what I did have rather than for what was lacking, focusing in the present moment, connecting to the universe and asking for spiritual guidance, uh, really surrendering through prayer, really taking my hands off the wheel through prayer and giving myself permission to give this desire over to a higher power of my own understanding rather than trying to control it. When it comes to conception, it's a very, very difficult thing for people to release. Anyone that's listening that's had a journey to conceive, however long or short it may have been, knows that that can be really challenging. It can be heartbreaking. There, there's no real area where I think women suffer silently. This is one of the top areas where I think women silently suffer because there's so much stigma around infertility and there's BS stigma around what you're capable of at your age or whatever it is that it takes to get pregnant. And the thing that we really leave out, Aviva, and this is something we must talk about today, is how much spirituality and God's plan is involved in the journey towards conception. Because on my path towards surrendering and surrendering more, what I learned most was that the moment that I could let go and learn to rely on a plan better than mine was when everything would begin to work out on my behalf. There's so many thoughts and feelings flooding in Gabby um, from the, you know, just wanting to really, really empathize and reiterate your point that it is such an area of silent suffering and that, um, you know, I don't want to say anything that makes it sound like it's some facile thing, like we surrender, then we get pregnant, because sometimes the surrendering is to a different plan than we had that's, for ourselves. That's the same thing, though. I think that's really important that you acknowledge that, because the surrender doesn't necessarily mean that you just get pregnant. For me, surrendering, it still took another year to get pregnant. Yeah. In that year, I would focus on what was thriving. I got my body to a healthier state. I got myself out of hypervigilance. I learned how to mother myself. So I would never have given up that year. Now, more importantly, to your point, surrender doesn't always mean that we give birth to a child that is our own egg or to a child that is our own or that we give birth at all. But it gives us the permission to let go and trust that the desire to be a mother will be and can be fulfilled in whatever form it is meant to be. And I've seen this happen so many times. I can think of so many couples over the years that I've worked with who were trying so hard, like like trying and trying and taking temperatures and measuring, you know, checking fertile mucus and sex becomes much more about pregnancy and conception than about like connection and conscious relationship. And 
you know, no judgment on how any of it goes, but I can think of quite a few couples where I was like, I think you guys need to throw away the fertility app, go on a vacation, and then they come back and they're pregnant. And there is something to be said. And in my own personal life, I, I, I laugh a little at myself because I remember that week that you were at my house staying with me and, um, we were talking about marriage and relationship and I was talking about how I think it was something about like um, working in therapy about being controlling and you're and you were like really um, empathetic about it and then you chuckled and you were like admit Aviva I mean you are a little bit controlling and that truth telling is so important and and the flip side of that was you know and however somebody defines God for me it's not a an, you know external being but you said something to me many years ago that has really stuck with me, and I try to pull on it when I'm feeling so overwhelmed, which is that if I'm trying so hard, then I'm forgetting that there are helpers out there, that yeah. I'm trying to do it all myself right. and forgetting to surrender. So it's really liberating to step back and let go of that, sometimes the clenched trying. Totally. Totally. So then you did become pregnant. Um, you went through, um, well, I want to, I don't want to disclose your story because I don't know how much you want to talk about. So you, you yeah. went through some fertil- a fertility path. Yeah, no, I can share this story. So, so prior to getting pregnant, I actually was diagnosed with SIBO, which you, you once again, as my close friend and, and advisor really helped me through that journey in a major, major, major way. Uh, I was really suffering from PTSD for most of my life, undiagnosed PTSD, which ultimately leads to incredible gastrointestinal issues because of your lack of motility and just just constant state of hypervigilance and just living in that state is extremely is very extreme for for your body. So I was suffering from SIBO, which is small intestinal bacterial over, overgrowth. overgrowth. Yes. You got it. Which uh, required of me to obviously change my diet and take some medication, but most importantly to uh, really get my nervous system in check and have a zero tolerance for stress. So was just off the, off the end of that SIBO cleanse that lasted six months. And I was the cleanest I had ever been in my life. I just detoxed to the point of like full blown hives and like everything was coming out. I, uh, I was, I was that at that point took some, uh, I had a very easy fertility path at that time. I was very, very healthy. My, my microbiome, my gut was clean. And then I took some um, some med- some stimulation medication and did a, a IUI treatment and got pregnant very quickly. Uh, the second treatment. Now I don't want to uh, brag about that because that for anyone that's done fertility treatment, that's pretty unheard of. And so even though it did take me three years, by the point that I got to that point, it was easy for me. And I want to acknowledge and recognize how it is not typically that simple once you do go down the path of uh, fertility treatment. So I just want to acknowledge and respect anyone that's going through that because I know the other side now is I'm trying to have another child. <laughs> I can really speak to that today too. I could, I'm really a great expert for you. Yes, on this show. We're going to circle back around to that actually. Yeah. Um, so then you had this beautiful, cause I'm, I really want to talk about, you know, everything we're talking about, but also amazing pregnancy. Part of anxiety. Yeah. yeah. You had this like amazing pregnancy. You had a lot of love and support and amazing partners. Oh, it was incredible. so great. It was yeah, so great. you have yeah. like you have like the, a, an amazing setup. You had a beautiful home, personal and financial security, a sister circle, um, 
and you my body a- loved being pregnant. You, you would say that you to were me so cute too. I, I remember when you showed up for lunch one day. We met good. in Great Barrington when we could all still meet for lunch, and you were wearing these cute overalls. I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> you were just showing. Oh, me. I love so being cute. pregnant. I, I love it. I, I really don't like the first trimester, but yeah. I loved being pregnant, and I just loved just witnessing the power of my body. And I think that that the, the the pregnancy was epic. And then the thing that I just, one of my favorite things to share about, I write about it in my book, Super Attractor. I've shared about it and, and moved to tears on stage was a moment in my life where you were extremely instrumental was being in the the birthing suite in this tiny little country hospital where I was, I, I had envisioned and manifested my Beyonce birth because I wanted to be the only one on the floor, which was very possible in the town I live in. And there's like a six suite birthing suite, birthing center. And I was the only person birthing there with like the six nurses. And then I had Dr. Aviva fucking Rom as my midwife or my birth assistant or helper. And I had my acupuncturist, Terry, who is just one of the most epic women in the world. And then I had my husband and my amazing doctor. And I remember my doctor just kept looking over and he's like, he's like, your midwife, she seems to know a lot. And I was like, she's, she's a Yale trained physician too, sir. <laughs> he didn't want to necessarily know that right away, but it was very it funny. After. The whole time. It helped a little it bit. It helped <laughs> after. Oh yeah. It helped me when uh, we were, we were pushing at the end. Uh, so it was just like mantra music and, and hypno birthing and all the visualization and Aviva and Terry and Zach in the corner holding space. And it was the most unbelievable day of my life. It will go down in history as one of my most proud moments of my Mm. strength and ability and intuition because, you know, I got all the way to, what was it? Eight centimeters. And it was sort of the finish line for me. And I decided to take an epidural. And I remember looking at Aviva and, and Terry and like any good birthing coach, they were like, you're almost there. You can do this. But even in my heart, I knew I'll be, I'll end up on the table being cut open because I'm almost at 24 hours. You know, let me just do what I intuitively, I'm not going to be a hero here. Let me finish this off in the way that's meant to be. And that was right too. You know, just listening, but also trusting and just birthing in such an epic way. And I just remember like moaning and I kept saying, ah, which is of course a, a word for God. And I kept moaning that, ah, and I just have such visualizations of that day and I, I can't wait to do it again, Aviva. So well, and I, I just want to say for it on your calendar. It's, it's I know I'm like waiting for the call. You're <laughs> um I just want to say it's always such an honor to be at someone's birth. So thank you for that gift. And I have so many strong, precious visual uh, memories of that experience. And I just want to say, because I'm one of the only people in the universe that can actually say this, is that um Gabby Bernstein walks her talk. And mm-hmm. um when I and and when I say that is when you have, you know, when you talk about birth visualization, when you talk about your hypnobirthing, when you talk about your experience of birth, you're not bullshitting and you weren't like in a room screaming and saying, Give me the drugs, which if any woman is doing that, all power to that's you. Fine that's too. Cool that's fine too. Like, <laughs> that's your path, that's okay too. Yes. But for you know, those listening, I mean she really I remember at one point Terry Terry Getz, who's an acupuncturist and a doula, an incredible woman. Um, just we looked at each other and like at the same time we just we said birthing goddess. I mean, you were on, <laughs> you were like on a ball and your your hair cascading down and you know, makeup free and just breathing in and breathing out and doing your mantras and you were stunning. I mean, it was just epic and so beautiful. 
So you have this gorgeous birth and mm-hmm. um, no birth trauma. I mean, really beautiful. And I know that postpartum was going pretty well. I mean, you had some like engorged breasts that we worked through and I came up, we had quite a, Tracy and I, my husband and I were just talking about this the other, for those of you who don't know who Tracy is, we were just joking the other day because we had Baba Louie's pizza for the first time in like always think a of year. And we were like, man, it's been a while since we had pizza with Gabby and Zach because you guys wanted the Baba Louie's, which is for those of you who aren't in the Berkshires, it's like this like ancient grain spelt Amazing. Crust. Pizza with local ingredients, really good, thin so, crust. Okay. So I, we'd bring pizza and salad and come have postpartum visits. But that you had good postpartum support. You had a nanny. Breastfeeding was going well. Initially, you were sleeping because you had Didn't night. have to work. Yeah. You, were, like, you had cleared your calendar for like three or four months because you had hauled ass before. It wasn't like you just didn't have to work. You made it. So you did mm-hmm. it. And Zach, your husband, just stepped up to cover mm-hmm. your like part of it. But then something shifted. And- what I want to start to unpack is when did you go from everything being okay to something's not okay and it's not just the stress of being a new mom? Like, was it the sleep problems? Was it, what happened? Do you, I'm sure you remember, you probably feel it viscerally. Oh yeah. I, I, I've worked through a lot of the PTSD around it. So I thankfully don't have with, with EMDR therapy and with a lot of other healing modalities. I don't have a lot of that like triggered response when I talk about it anymore, thankfully, but I, within probably three months, around three months, which is an important thing to note because people typically say that postpartum occurs in the first six weeks. Well, it wasn't the case for me. Three months in, I started to notice myself getting very anxious, which was something I just chalked up to being a new mom, worrying that then I had a night nurse for several months who I really relied on a lot, who was preparing to leave. So that's a common time for anxiety just to kick up. I, because then you're like, well, this woman's leaving and now I'm, I'm the one that cares for this baby. You know, it's, it's, it's a big crutch in the beginning. If you have the uh, wherewithal to have that kind of support. It's its incredible, but it's also a big crutch, whether it's a nurse or whether it's an in-law or whoever it is that's helping you. When they leave, it can be traumatizing and scary. Then I started noticing that I was having very disrupted sleep, panic at night. That sleep disruption became a nightly issue so much so that I started looking to things like melatonin. I'm breastfeeding at this time. So I'm looking for these different supplements and, and, and anything I can take that is sort of uh, legal during breastfeeding. But then I, I remember thinking that my husband had the sleeping issue because he was very restless at night as well. And that that was the problem that he was the one that was disturbing my sleep. Eventually, I ended up going from bed to bed and, and and different couches and sofas and few hours a night turned into no hours a night where I started to reach out to you and other acupuncturists and friends and people in the wellness space to get some guidance on how to fix the sleep issue, but was not actually looking at the underlying condition, which was anxiety. So I carried on this way for several months to the point well, where, and you weren't. I mean, it got to a point where you, I had full blown insomnia. Yeah. So it got to the point where it was full blown insomnia every single night. Uh, so zero sleep. I was breastfeeding full time. So my son was taking a lot from me as well. I had zero sleep. I was walking and exercising because I needed to work out the anxiety. So I was losing so much weight. I got to the point where I was 98 pounds. Uh, I then get to this stage where I'm 
having agoraphobia, which anyone that knows me personally knows I'm a very social person. I love social gatherings. But now at this stage, I'm literally sitting in the backseat of the car when someone else is in the car with us because I don't want to, I just didn't want to have to socialize or be connected to anyone. I was so terrified. And and I remember you telling me too, kind of in one of our like, really like come to Jesus conversations about how bad things were that you were afraid to even get in the car. I was afraid to get in the car, afraid to go to sleep at night, afraid to, uh, afraid to shut the lights, afraid to, to be alone. It was a really dark period. And then of course with insomnia comes depression because if you don't sleep, you get depressed. Is period. Just it, it, and anxiety is actually a diagnosis, otherwise known as depression. It, it is under the, the postpartum anxiety, I believe, and you can correct me, yeah. but I, my psychiatrist has explained that postpartum anxiety is a form of postpartum depression. It's a subset. Yeah. Yes. So while you are just looking for the signs of depression, I was severely anxious, and that anxiety is what led to the insomnia, which ultimately, which is what led to the depression, uh, and eventually, which are the things that I did not admit to you were towards the end suicidal ideation where it wasn't to the point where I was like plotting my death, but saying things like, I want to die. I want to kill myself. I can't go on like this. I want to step into traffic. And not not that I think I would have done it. Mm -hmm. I have no idea what I would have done if I kept going that way, but I had gotten to that space. But the thing was, was that because I wasn't technically depressed and more anxious, I didn't understand that that too was a diagnosis. And I wasn't fully admitting the truth to myself, which ultimately, how could I admit it to you or my friends or my physicians when I'm just not admitting it to myself? Yeah. I also had been in this space that is very, uh, typically very, uh, not against, yeah, sometimes against. I, I mean, I'm, we're in a space where a lot of the authors and speakers and, and, and doctors and teachers are, are not going to recommend a path of an antidepressant. Or So for me, I kind of ruled it out. It wasn't really an option. So if that's not, the, if that's not an option and that's not on the table, then I'm just like sort of medicating with, with, with nothing. I'm, I'm, I'm flying by the seat of my pants with, with meditation, which wasn't working anymore, and prayer, which wasn't working anymore. And my bottom was when I called you actually, and I was calling Zoe, our mutual friend who was in England. I called her many nights because she'd be awake when I was up in the middle of the night. And um, I remember, I think I called you in the early in the morning. No, we talked and I at hadn't like slept. five in the morning. One 5 a.m. Yeah, yeah, you were picking up the phone for me in random hours. I had my friend who was a psychiatrist like on speed dial just because I didn't know what to do. And I uh, hadn't slept the entire night and I had a talk that day and I canceled the talk. And it was the first time in 15 years that I hadn't, shown up for a contracted speaking engagement. It's just, I'm, I, I sh- I'm, a sh- I'm a shower upper and I didn't show up. And that was the moment when I called my therapist and I, every morning was calling my therapist to give her the update of how bad things were. Finally, she said, get, get Zach on the phone. Uh, she put me and Zach on speakerphone. She said, you are having a biochemical condition. Your tools are no longer working, meaning my spiritual practices and all the methods I was applying you need to talk to psychiatrists. I was able to hear her. It was the point of, of full surrender. When you Sometimes you have to hit, for me, at times in my life, I've had to hit full bottoms to fully surrender to the path. And this was just another example of that. That day I called a great friend who's a psychiatrist. He put me in touch with one of the leading postpartum psychiatrists in New York City. Alexandra. Within, Alexandra Sachs, yes. Yep. Within 
48 hours I was in her office and on the spot, she diagnosed me with postpartum depression and anxiety and handed me a prescription for Zoloft. And uh, at the time for a, a period, I also needed a sleep aid that would be acceptable on uh, while you're breastfeeding as well. And so I took that, I took that prescription. Now, meanwhile, I'd been brought up homeopathic had like, couldn't even remember how, how many times I ever even stepped into the pharmacy. You know, like I didn't know what to do with the prescription. <laughs> and I, I walked out of the office and I looked at, looked in the, and I just called Zach and I said, I finally feel relief. I hadn't even taken a pill. <laughs> I just felt the relief of knowing that there was a plan. So I got that prescription and I, 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 I ran there and I, I, I just couldn't have been more grateful, but I want to talk never, about that too. I want to yeah. talk about that because uh, well, go ahead. Say what you were well, going to say. I, just, I wanted, yeah, because we're. I want to get to that too. And you know, we're so close with each other, and like, we were so in it. Like, I was like not in it with you, but you um, were in so, it with me. Well, so you much of what you're it. answering is like the storyline that I was hoping to cover. So it's just exactly like harmonious. Um, one of the things, if you don't mind, I want to interject that it's like a little bit off topic, but I think really important because a lot of women who listen to my podcast are doulas, midwives, healthcare providers, or are women who have doulas, midwives, and healthcare providers who may be talking to them about these things, but they're their friends. And all this time, you and I were talking often, sometimes a couple of times a day, sometimes many times a week, which of course, I am always here for you. And I know you're always here for me too. Um, but what this was really revelatory for me because... As your health, as your friend, and I was in it as your friend, not as your formal healthcare provider. And you and I has always had have always had an agreement that that wouldn't be a role I would have for you. But I think that for one, you weren't even ready to say out loud how dark your thoughts were, mm-hmm. and I was perceiving that your thoughts were really dark. And that five o'clock in the morning day was, I remember saying to you, Gabby, we've got to get you a doctor. I called a friend of mine who was a doctor for you that morning at like eight o'clock to get you an appointment. Um, And realizing that when we're a healthcare provider um, and a friend at the same time, we're not always able to be the best of either. Because I was trying to sort out solutions from you for you and felt so conflicted, right? Like as a doctor, I was so worried about you that if you were my patient, I would have probably been legally obligated to call your husband and say, I'm really worried about her safety. And as your friend, I didn't want to cross that line. Mm-hmm. Or as your friend, if I would ask you something, like, how bad is it? You were kind of like, oh, it's not that bad. I mean, I'm sleeping a few hours a night. Right. So- I mean, it wasn't, you weren't, you just that was more about me not wanting to admit it even to myself. Yeah. And remember, you know, I had you as my friend and then I had two or three different therapists helping me at the time, all of whom I was still not that forthcoming because I was so afraid of admitting this to myself. And so you, you're doing a beautiful job of sort of acknowledging to the care, to the carer, whoever it may be, whether it's a doula or the doctor that's friends with somebody like be conscious of that. But the more important thing that I have to admit, and this is for anyone who's out there that does have that doula that's a friend, is I became extraordinarily codependent with you. Like I would really put a lot on you and you as such a caring, educated, divine 
person that you are continued to show up for me. And so it's, it's a, it's an interesting dynamic when your friends are, are in the healthcare profession. And it's almost one of those things where I would say you can ask them advice, but then always, you know, leave them alone because it can get (laughs) really, it can get really, especially when you're in crisis, because when it's a friend, you can feel really codependent with them. But also as a provider and as that woman going through it, we have to be, I feel that your story showed me your, your journey and my path in it with you, that we have to take the risk and ask the harder questions sometimes, Mm -hmm. or we have to really like be fully, even deeper in it with the person. Yeah. And and I I think- I think that it's I think that it's important to really as the patient whoever you are and as the provider or friend or parent whoever is listening to this. Yeah. It's not the responsibility just of a provider. It could be your husband, your it could wife, be your husband, your mother, your friend. sister, it could be anyone oh, who yeah. sees it. It could be your the, house, you know, your nanny who sees I, it. I yeah. exactly, exactly. My nanny shamed medication. I remember her looking at me when I started taking the medication, her looking at me and saying, "Do you think you really need that?" Mhm. I mean, shamed it. Now, this is, I know God gave me postpartum depression so that I could be a voice for a therapeutic psychiatric response to it because there are too many people who go misdiagnosed because, or don't get diagnosed because of their shame around the stigma of mental illness. And it's unacceptable to me. I am at a place in my life where I'm going to be so loud about what I went through so that other people don't lose their lives over it. And, you know, this is moving in a different direction from where we were about our our friendship and everything else. But I just think that, that as a friend, as a, as a doula, as a spiritual sister, as a husband, you need to be looking out for that postpartum mama in the first year of postpartum. And even beyond Aviva, I think you could probably even say this stuff can linger, okay? And now even with COVID, right? Because you don't have people even witnessing you. So it's even easier to withdraw isolate. into your own suffering. Yeah, it's correct. Isolate. So that so person, be- they're, they're, they're got to ask questions. They have to say, and they have to be willing to accept that this could be a biochemical condition and encourage people to use the resources that are available. And the best resources is the motherhood center in New York city. It's just, they just take people in. Uh, Catherine is one of the most divine psychiatrists. And I just, I can't, I can't acknowledge them enough. If you're suffering, we'll and, link up to them. Yes. To link Alex, to them. Alexandra's book too. So looking back, do you feel that there were things that you wish your closest friends or family had seen sooner? What were some of the signs that maybe people could have seen or had done sooner? And not that I know that you're, you're not like blaming or wishing. I'm just like, for the sake of those listening, what, what should they be looking for? And what do you, even deeper than what did, what should they be looking for that too? But like deep down in yourself, what did you want somebody to see here and know that you like, what did you want? It it wouldn't have mattered if somebody had diagnosed me sooner because I wasn't willing or ready to accept that diagnosis mm. until I was ready to accept it. But I wanted to be seen. I do recall my mother-in-law, God bless her, she was only loving loving in this moment, but she on Mother's Day, I, I actually said in the back of the car, I want to kill myself. And I was hysterically crying in her, in her kitchen to her and my sister-in-law and my mother, my mother-in-law put her hand on my shoulder and she said, Oh, you know, it's, it's always hard to be a new mom. 
And this is just anxiety. And I was like, this isn't just anxiety. So I wanted to be seen. I wanted to be uh, acknowledged. And in many ways I was. And I mean, I had you, I had such great sisterhood. I had friends picking up the phone at all hours of the night. But I think if I were to advise any spouse or close friend or parent, I would say that the second that you start noticing they're being an over overly anxious to the point of not sleeping or eating patterns changing or disturbed disturbed energetic patterns and behaviors in any form don't have any shame around suggesting that they talk to their OBGYN about how they're feeling or to a psychiatrist or even to a therapist because this is this is a, a it's far too common that this occurs. How many women? How how many women are diagnosed? I mean, statistically, it's up to ten percent, but that's Correct. sort of how that's, many admit it, right? That's how many admit it. Yeah, and then there's sort of more. like, and how are you defining that? Are you defining that as like the extremes or the sort of gray Correct. zone? Correct. Um, yeah. And to your point too, like I think that sometimes you can have severe anxiety because you're having a thyroid issue after pregnancy. Right. So of course, rule everything out first. I'm not suggesting that people go jump on an antidepressant, yeah. but I am suggesting that you don't avoid it if you need it. And you did you that. Have a I mean, that was diagnosis. one of the things. Oh yeah, yeah. Immediately, I took your you advice. Got the, I got yeah. the everything. I went and I got all the 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 bloods taken that were recommended by you and by my and by my physician and. I, I looked into everything and I tried it all. Yeah. I think that I think that there the the main message I want to share is that not only did the medication save me from postpartum depression, but it also gave me a safe baseline for me to do the the incredible transformational work of really reprogramming my neural pathways through the journey of of somatic experience seeing an EMDR uh, as a result of really shifting out of PTSD. Because one of the things that I must mention is I'm also a trauma survivor. Yes. And that's I, what I wanted to I, talk I, about next. Perfect. So how much of that do you feel like? I remember when, when we were um, at your house one day talking about your lack of sleep and you started to unpack a lot of layers of trauma about, for example, remembering screaming in a crib and being afraid to go to sleep or having unpacked some personal trauma that you may or may not want to talk about here um, that had happened when you were young also. Yeah. I, I, I think that if women have had disorganized attachment or uh, uh, un unresolved trauma, it will kick up postpartum. Talk, so, about disorganized, I, 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 talk about disorganized attachment, Gabby. Tell, tell everyone so what when you, you mean by that. Grew up, if you grow up, there's, there's different attachment styles. And those of us who grew up in a way where a parent, the person who we would look to to be the person to make us feel secure and safe actually was the source of, of if they were neglectful or in extreme cases, if it was the person who was harming the child. Uh, but if, if there was neglect in any form, you can grow up with a disorganized attachment style, which allows ultimately can be very dissociating for a person. Uh, when you then become a parent, it can be really activating because here you are now the primary caregiver or a primary caregiver of a person, but you don't have the ability to be present and connect in the ways that you would because your your neural pathways aren't set up that way. 
you have triggered responses in the moment when your implicit memories are ultimately triggered in moments when you are meant to be the carer because that child's vulnerability is a reflection of your own. So I could, this is a whole other podcast, but uh, (laughs) being, becoming a parent is uh, a beautiful mirror reflection of all of the ways that we may have unresolved trauma and attachment wounds. And then you so add fatigue with those, and hormones. Yes, exactly. So there's there's fatigue situation. and hormones and a biochemical thing happening, plus all the unresolved baggage from your past that is completely kicked up and planted in your face when you become a mother. So it's no joke. It's no joke. Moms, do whatever you can to create the space to feel safe, to feel heard, to feel seen, to feel supported, and to to have a sense of security at that time. I, I've actually been doing uh, some Instagram live shows, and I've had people on. And one woman came on who had was two weeks postpartum, and she'd gone right back to work. And her, I, I looked at her and I said, "What's your husband's name?" And she said, "Miguel." And I started talking to the camera, and I said, "Miguel, listen to me. You." have to make her first. The, your wife is the lighthouse. She is the food for this child. She has to be cared for. She has to be watched over. You have to take care of her emotions. And I just, you know, I started like waving my finger, but that's the answer. I mean, you got to, you got to get as much support as you possibly can at that time. And Gabby, you said something earlier um, that was really important that I'd like to circle back around to just very, very briefly, which is, um, you know, it is important to check your thyroid. It is important to check for iron deficiency anemia, which may make you more fatigued. It is important to check for B12, vitamin D. But I think that there's a tendency in the wellness space and in the functional medicine world to default to a physical reason, right? Like it's your gut, it's your mitochondrial function, it's your this, it's your diet. But you had all that pretty dialed in And I I just want to acknowledge that a lot of times we're so busy looking for this sort of like root physical cause. And I think I'm even a little bit guilty of that in in our relationship through that time where I was missing as as in that role, not as your friend, but in that role, a little bit of the forest for the trees, if you will. And sometimes it's just there. It's just, there's not going to be a microbiome explanation. There's not going to be the diet that fix it. And all those things are important to check for and important to continue to support and nourish. But sometimes there's something else going on, whether it's deeper trauma, whether it's a life circumstance, isolation, um, you know, socioeconomic challenges, a bad marriage relationship that's not supporting you, or just something deep in there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think you so powerfully and beautifully say that the medication, and again, neither one of us is saying, please, everyone go jump on medication. It's more about giving yourself permission to use all the healing tools and not polarize the healing tools. You know, if you're on a spiritual path, you have to be in the acceptance that God works through Aviva as much as God works through a psychiatrist, as much as God works through the same way God would be working through melatonin, God could be working through an SSRI. We have to recognize that these these healing devices are just special agents really showing up to be there as a support system in these moments when we're in crisis or in a moment when we need that that belief system in something beyond our own experience. And so I just want to really take away the stigma around 
particularly mental illness. This is for anyone listening. I probably contributed to the stigma for many years telling people that were having psychosis or any form of a mental illness to say, oh, just go meditate. No, you can't meditate when you're having a crisis like that. It doesn't, it's, that's not the answer for you. It can be an answer once you have the right medicated path, it can support that path, but it's not going to get you out of a biochemical condition. So it's, it's just extremely important for us to be speaking. And there's a lot of people in our field that shame medication. And I am thankfully the loud fucking voice that's going to be the counter to that. I think it's so important. I mean, it's like when you were in labor, (laughs) you know, when you were pregnant and I said to you, look, Gabby, I have no judgment about how you birth. If you want an epidural, Mm -hmm. I'm all in it with you. If you need medications for mental support, I'm all in it with you. And I also want to thank you. You are really, really, really balanced in that way. You are very balanced in that. But I I do want to say that since your experience, um, I've been even a little bit more liberal and integrated as a whole in myself because there are times when you have exhausted the tools of diet and meditation and whatever, all the things that we do, you know, supplements this, and then a next step is needed. I always say to my patients, look, if herbs and lifestyle were always 100% effective, nobody would have sought to ever develop pharmaceuticals or surgery, right? Like those are there and it's part of a continuum. And, um, but it has been liberating because I've, I've seen women who are so resistant to taking the medication for their depression or their anxiety when they've done all the other things, that they suffer for way longer than they actually have to oh because my God. they're judging themselves or they're reading this book on psychiatry and how it's like all your diet. And it's not true. It's just not. It's always. not. It's not. It's not. It, look, here I was, Aviva. I had the cleanest gut ever. I had, I was eating like only organic foods, juicing, eating like chicken livers for my iron. Like I had everything down. I, you, 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 you can't eat your way out of a biochemical condition. I love that. That's a, it's like a meme. I, um, I was going to say that's your opening line right there for your podcast. Right. I uh, can't say enough times how brave it was for you to come out about your postpartum anxiety experience and your medication use. And I also want to highlight something else that I have been so, there's so many things about you that I'm impressed by and, and also just love you so much. Um, and, you know, I've like seen you raw in so many ways and like seen you and I, I adore you. Um, there's something else though. You have never once used your child for clickbait. And I, I love that. You have never posted a picture of your little wonderful guy, at least his face. There have been cute, some little cute pictures of him in his high chair with a face over, a smiley face over him. Um, and I'm just curious, like, how are, are you, how are you, like, are you still feeling like that's really important to stick to as part of your... Oh, yeah. No, it's, he, it's not, he didn't ask to be posted on the internet. I love that. It's, uh, it's something I really want to talk about without feeling like I'm shaming moms that do yeah, do no, that. I actually put that in my note, like, that we're not, ju- like, in my notes that I have here, like, we're it's, not judging anyone else. It's but my I, I way, and that. I have sort of a, like, strong, I have a strong reaction and response to it because... I just feel that it, I see, you can see a lot of people that are actually using their children just to be seen in their own world. And that can be yeah. 
But my therapist says it perfectly. She says, well, they'll just have to deal with that with their therapist one day. <laughs> so it, it is whatever that karma is between that child and that parent. Amy Raup is walking in right now to give me acupuncture as I love we're talking. It. All right. I'm, I'm going to ask you. Podcast. I'm going to ask you. Hi, Amy. I'm going to ask you one last question for us to wrap up with. How has your view of motherhood shifted or been humbled or expanded by having Ollie and going through what you went through and what is your deepest wish or words of wisdom for women becoming mamas? My, my experience as a mother has been radically transformed as a result of going through the postpartum experience because what that did was it just catapulted my personal growth journey even further. It put me on a path of deeper healing than I could have ever possibly contemplated. As a result of having the bravery and the willingness to go to those places, I'm now actually for the first time in such a fabulous state. I've never been this happy in my life. I've never felt this more safe in my body. I've never felt this more pr this present because I had suffered for 40 years with PTSD, dissociation, and just living in a state of hypervigilance. Finally, I feel free. And the greatest benefit of all is that my son can have a present parent. Then as a result of having the bravery to go through that, I've had the bravery to look at my own past experience and the unresolved attachment wounds so that I can be a source of security for him. One of the resources that I would recommend and the most important thing I could recommend beyond getting help if you think you have postpartum depression, the next last resource is read every single book that Dan Siegel, Dr. Dan Siegel has written because his books are transformational. They will heal you as an individual and make you a better parent. When we understand our child's brain and when we understand our attachment experience from our childhood and can adjust as an adult, we do have the power to undo the past patterns that we lived with and we grew up with so that our children can have a better experience. So that's my final, my last and final message for you. Gabby, thank you for making time. I love you. Today. I love you too. And I am ever grateful for your wisdom, your transparency, your generosity. And I can't wait to be with you at your next birth. Should that be <laughs> in the path? It's coming, baby. Um, it's coming. And thank yeah. you for just taking the time to be here with us today. I love you. Love you too. Mwah. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Natural MD Radio. If you did, please go to avivaram.com and join the conversation about the show on my blog. And while you're there, be sure to sign up for my newsletter. It's free and it's jam-packed with powerful tips to help you take back your health naturally. That's avivaram.com. Take care and see you next time.